0: Sure, most of you are familiar with with a, an expression that starts. You know, th- there's two types of people in the world. So you know, and then they'll t- you know they'll talk about you know two types of people. You know, so there's two types of people in the world. So, you know, type you know there's the type that when the when you know, the gas cage hits, hits E, they go get gas, and there's a type that sees it as a personal challenge to see how far they can go. Right? There's there's two types of people: those who make life easier on you, those who make life harder on you. Right? There's Two types of people in the world, there's Steelers fans and there's fans of mediocrity, right? There's all these, I, I could just keep going on the Steelers. None of them would be true, but I, I can feel like I can do it, right? I came across the one this week that says there are two types of people in the world, those that can keep secrets and I can't tell you about the others, um, which if you get, so that was very much, a, M asked, so I was sharing some of these with M last night. And she's like, you can't share that. That's just really lame. Like it's, it's not even at the dad joke category. It's just a bad joke. So, and I actually had a whole list of others. Um, and she's just like, you, you can't. Like they're just, they're not funny in any way. So, I hope you get the idea that there's two types of people in the world. There's some type, and then another type that does the opposite. All right. So you kind of, yeah, yeah. So, and I guess I'm sparing you from some bad jokes. I think they would have been appropriate, but whatever. So. There, but we have all know the, the expression, right? There's two types of people before. Often they try to be humorous. Often the ones that really get me are the ones that try to be profound, you know what I mean, and give you some, you know, ancient wisdom, you know, leave you with, you know, what type of person are you going to be? And so I, I know there's a risk in, in, in saying this, and I know it can sound a little cliche or, you know, anything like that, and, but just to, to be aware, sometimes we are confronted with a reality that there really are only two types of people in the world. But we, and we see this morning, we, we, come, we are come face to face with the reality that there are two types of people in the world, but it's not built on folksy wisdom or people trying to, you know, make sort of a, a humorous observation. But we have from the authority of God's word that there are two types of people in the world there are those who are dead in sin, and there are those who are alive in Christ. And Scripture not only tells us in our passage this morning that there are two types of people, but He tells us the condition of each one and the hope for each one. main point we're going to look at this morning is that the Spirit that raised Christ to life is the Spirit that can raise you to life. The Spirit that raised Christ to life is the Spirit that can raise you to life. So, that, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to ask if you could stand if you're able as we read God's word, if you're guest with us this morning. We do this just to show our, our reverence and respect for God's authoritative word. So, Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anyone who does not have the spirit of, God, of Christ, God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Well, you may be seated. Again, the main theme we're going to look at this morning is the spirit that raise Christ to life is the spirit that can raise you to life. And we're going to look at just two, two points this morning. And our two points are just two types of people. So point number one is those dead in sin. Those dead in sin. So here Paul is describing two, two types of people. So in verse 1 he starts out that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ because verse 2 says he sets he he frees those he frees those who believe in Christ from the law of sin and from death. What we need to see though is that all people are born into sin. So there's there there's no condemnation if you're in Christ, but there is condemnation if you are not in Christ. You face condemnation if you are if you are apart from Christ. And so unless you have Christ, you are def- we are born we are born in sin. We are born under condemnation. We have a default setting as people because we are of the human race. We are born as sinners, right? Every, every parent passes traits along to their children. So every, 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 every parent passes traits along to their children. Their, their children receive certain traits from, from their parents, right? You, you know this. That's why I'm... Sorry, Evangeline, but at age 27, you're going to have male pattern baldness, and it's just going to overcome you, and there's not much you can do about it. So, right, we, we all understand that we get physical traits from our parents. We get, we get customs and just sort of a culture from our parents, right? Like, things pass down from parent to child. We, and we all have something from our parents, and we all have something that has remained in the family line since, our, since the first parents, Adam and Eve, Sin was passed down through the family line, through through all people. Now, to help combat our sinfulness, God gave us the law. So despite our sinful nature, sin wouldn't just sort of run amok and and do everything. But guess what? We couldn't keep the law. Certainly, we couldn't keep the law perfectly. So the law couldn't save us. The law didn't save us. But it's not only that we we, we aren't saved, it's not only that we didn't do enough to sort of earn salvation and and get out from under condemnation. Scripture informs us that we are actually opposed to God in our sinfulness. So it's not just that we didn't live a life pleasing enough to Him, it's that we're we're opposed to God. We're alienated from God. We're His enemies in our sinful situation. And so verse 7 and 8 recap the condition of natural man this way, when it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See there's probably some here who, who, who might you know, become and thinking and you know I I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily living for God, but I'm, I'm not God's enemy. I'm not hostile towards God. I'm kind of indifferent, or I'm, I'm agnostic about the whole God thing or whatever He would require. So I'm, I'm not His enemy. I'm, I'm not anti-Him. But what we, what we see in Scripture time and time again is that anything less than total submission to Him, total submission to Him as his, under His rightful reign and rule and His lordship, is hostility to a perfect and to a holy God. And so natural man is doomed. And so we need something supernatural to come into our lives. But our nature is this, we find ourselves both unable and unwilling to obey God. And the consequences of that is this, it's death, but not just physical death, but eternal death and separation from God, which is the right consequences that our sin deserves. There's a phrase probably most people have heard of, of, it's of dead man walking, right? So dead man walking is a term you could apply, right? So if a guy forgets his anniversary, you could say that's a dead man walking, going in home, right? But there's, the term is really applied to those who, who sit on death row. It was out of those who, sit on, who sat on death row who, who faced the penalty of death. They've been found guilty in a courtroom and they are just awaiting execution, So you would say they're a dead man walking, they're they're alive, they're walking around, their fate is sealed, their fate is sure, they're a dead man walking. And this is what Romans would describe us all as, in the flesh, we are dead men walking. We are physically alive for now, but we are awaiting a sure execution. And spiritually, we are dead and we are unable to do anything about it because the one thing we could try, obedience, following the law, perfect obedience, we can't do and we won't do. So we are guilty, we are condemned, we are powerless, we are hostile to God, and we are unable to do anything about it. That is our natural condition. So that's one type of person born in the flesh, dead in the flesh, hopeless in the flesh. Now, I'm sure somebody's sitting here right now just you know, thinking of whispering to the person next time, like, hey, I'm glad we got dressed to listen to this ball of sunshine. This is, you know, this, is, this is a good time. If that's you, let hang with me because now I want to talk about the second kind of person. And although we are all born as the first person and all on our own unable to change, there is still hope. So the spirit that raised Christ to life is the spirit that can raise you to life. The the second person we see here in our second point is those alive in Christ. Those alive in Christ. So our passage begins again this way, that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there are two types of people, right? There are those rightly living under condemnation because of their sin, and there are those with no condemnation. And who are those with no condemnation? Well, they are those who are in Christ. Now, how does this work? Because don't we all deserve, I mean, haven't I just said that we all deserve condemnation? So how how can this be that we don't? Well, verse 3 informs us that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to do what we cannot do. He sent His Son as a man... But not just as a man, but as a perfect man, one who did not have sin nature on him, but one who was able, he did not have the sinful nature we have, but who, who was able to perfectly fulfill God's law that we broke. He was able to perfectly obey God all the days of his life. So he, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a man, as the perfect man who could come and fulfill the law, a man who could defeat the, the law and the wages of sin and death, and who can reverse what sin brought. And then verse 4 notes, not only did he do that, he did it for us. He did it in a way that it counts for us, as if we didn't disobey the law, but his record is given to us. And so not verse 9 and 10 indicate that because of Jesus Christ, we are no longer in the flesh and subject to all that, the, that being in the flesh brings, we are now alive and we are in Christ and we have the Spirit of Christ in us and we have all the blessings that come with that. So because Jesus Christ not only lived a perfect life, as this passage tells us, but what we celebrated Friday night as a church, because He died on the cross and because He rose victorious over the grave, we ha- can have life in Jesus Christ. And So basically we see, we, we see this, that we're, We're all born in sin, we're all born and and subject to the consequences of sin, but those born of the Spirit of Christ not only escape the consequences of sin, receive all the benefits that Christ earned as the one who perfectly accomplished all that the law required. That he, he died for us and then He was raised for us. And all the, all, the, all the benefits that are coming from living this perfect life and rising victorious over the grave, we, we, we receive through Him. So now we receive in Christ eternal life and fellowship with God and peace and not condemnation and newness. So verse 9 paints the picture. Anyone that does not have the Spirit of Christ, does not belong to Him, is under sin and all that it brings. And anyone in the Spirit of Christ receives all the benefits that Christ Earned for us. Not only that, we are given His Holy Spirit. We are given the Spirit who empowers us. We, we, we are given life to our mortal bodies. Next passage in Romans talks about that those who receive this are adopted as God's children. We are heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with Him, meaning His inheritance is shared generously with us. We have a relationship with God, the Spirit of God. God Himself testifies that we are God's children. We don't live in fear, but in freedom. So we were bound under under sin and under flesh. We were bound to death and damnation and disobedience. And the Spirit of God liberates us from all those things. Okay, so there's obviously, right, th- th- there's no comparison between the two people here. And I'm genuinely not trying to sort of present only one side here. It it really is just that simple. Scripture is that clear. It really is that cut and dry that these are the two people. There are those alive in Christ and there are those who are dead in sin. So I think you need, I would encourage you to ask, which one do you recognize yourself as? Are you one who (laughs) has been made alive in Christ and has the Spirit of God empowering them? Or are you one that maybe isn't sure, or you're not quite sure what that means and if that has happened to you. But I also want to ask a question. You know, if, if I said there's there, there's there's two types of people, right? If I were if I were to say something, like, let's take it out of this realm and just say, you know, there's there's two types of people, right? There's those that have seen all the Marvel movies and those who haven't seen all the Marvel movies. I'm not sure why one would aspire to spend that many days doing that, but... But it would be really simple if you wanted to be one who did that, right? You would know what to do, right? You would just watch all the Marvel movies, and then you would be the one who, who's in that camp, right? But let me ask, if, if, you're, if you're dead in sin, if one is dead in sin, what can they do? Because we can't make ourselves alive in Christ. We can't give life to our bodies, so Ben who's Ben can you Ben is an EMT so you can correct my medical knowledge if I'm if I'm wrong on this but if he shows up at a house and a person's heart has stopped beating he can say, "Hey, start your heart." That that's the problem. Your heart stops. So you just start your heart. That that'll that'll solve it. But that's that's not going to work, right? And he can yell at him to start the heart and that's not going to work and he can You know, he can ask really nicely for the heart to start beating and it's not going to work. He can give reasons why his heart should start beating and it's not going to work. See, what's going to happen as they show up is that you're going to have loving and caring and skilled EMTs looking to revive them. You're going to have whatever that paddle shocky thing is. You're going to have that going. You're going to have people praying for them. But the one person who needs their heart started is unable to do anything to start their own heart and it's like that for us in sin. We can't bring life to ourselves. So how do we, how do we receive this life? How, what, what hope do we have if we can't do this on our own? Well, verse 11 answers our question. It's not do enough good deeds to tip the balance. It's not do a certain ritual. It's not come to church enough time. It says this, If the Spirit of Him... Who raised Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. Okay, so obviously, right, it's Easter Sunday. We're coming here to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Parenthetical, uh, that's what we get to celebrate every week as we gather as a church, the resurrection and the finished work of Jesus Christ. But it says here, if the spirit who raised him from the grave, Now, I just want to make sure we're, we're, we're not misreading this. Scripture is not saying if the spirit rose Christ from the dead, He's not saying if that happened. No, it's noting this happened. This is historical reality. It's it's backed by historical evidence. This is historical fact. Just to note, there are people who want to treat the resurrection of Jesus Christ as as a matter of faith and not fact. But it, it really is as absurd as saying like I treat... I treat M, my wife's birth, as a matter of faith. I, I don't. I take it as fact because all the evidence points to the fact that she was born. And I've talked with her. I've talked to, I've talked to her mom and dad who were there at her birth. Right? I've seen the birth certificate. I have a relationship with her. It's not a matter of faith whether she was born. It's not a matter of faith that whether Christ rose from the grave. And Romans is just stating it. It's not if this happened. No, it, it happened. Now, I want to just for a moment say I understand that there have been so many voices that have, have, have sort of presented it as a matter of faith and a matter of opinion rather than a matter of historic fact. And if you're somebody here who has questions, that it's just well, how, how do we really know that? How can, we, how can we really have confidence in the resurrection of Christ? I, I would love to talk with you more. I know there are people, if you came with somebody this morning, I know they would love to talk about you more. Why can we really have, have certainty and confidence and not just take it by faith that Christ really did rise from the grave, then I would love to talk more with you about that or others would love to talk more with you about that. But Christ rose from the grave. The Spirit of God rose Him from the dead. And if the one that caused it to happen dwells in you, if the one who brought Christ back from the dead is in you, you will be brought back from the dead. And so here is how we do this. It's not we bring life to ourselves, but trust in the one who can bring life to us. Trust in what Christ has accomplished and His Spirit comes to dwell in us. So that's how we go from death to life. We receive what God so graciously gives and provides. And again, if you... If you never have trusted in Jesus Christ, I just want you to know what hope the resurrection of Jesus Christ offers for you. And I would say, what, what a response. The reality of the resurrection, it, it just places a demand on you. We just can't be neutral about the resurrection. We just can't trade oh, okay, that's cool that that happened. It demands a response from our life. But let me also note this. For those who have trusted in Christ and and what he has done for them already. Do do we see the, uh, I mean, I just want to call it audacious, the audaciousness of this statement and what it means for our lives. The spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, and he is the one with power to raise from the grave. He is the one that who fought sin and death and Satan and condemnation, and he is the one that that, that defeated all these things. He is the one with unlimited and unreserved power. That is the one who resides and dwells in us. It's not just that the resurrection of Christ provides a way for salvation, though, praise God, it provides a way for salvation. It, comp- it, it provides complete newness for God's people. The Spirit of God is what gives us power over fear and unbelief. It's what gives us power to, and boldness to share of the love of God. It's what gives us power over sin and shame. It's what gives us power, it gives us power to hope in your marriage, even in areas where it just feels so stuck for so long. It's what gives us hope to continue to pray for our children. The Spirit of God doesn't come in quietly and sort of like, hey, I'm not trying to create a scene. I'm just going to give you enough of my presence to try to get by through your life. He comes, and he comes with extraordinary power. And he says he dwells in you, meaning the Spirit of God in the life of the believer, he, he takes up residence in your heart and in your life. So in our basement right now in our house where we reside, we have mouse traps set up all over the place because... Well, mice would like to take up residence in our basement, but as the owners of our house and our residents, that means, no, nope, no, nope, we're not having mice. The mice need to get out of the house, and unfortunately, they won't leave on their own, so we have to set up traps to, to sort of force the issue, right? But it's this, as the owners of the house, we're, we're removing what doesn't belong there. We're, we're taking out what shouldn't be in there, and we're setting up our residence, and more and more, it's looking like us, and more and more, it looks like Sort of what we love and what we sort of what, what what our home should look like. What's it mean to be the Campbells? More and more, that that home is looking like that, and what doesn't belong is being removed. The Spirit is taking residence in your heart and in your life, which means He's removing things that don't belong, like shame and fear and brokenness and sin and unbelief. He's doing it day by day, little by little, but surely each day part of this church you know we've been taking time as a church recently to to talk about this topic what's it mean that we have god's empowering presence in our life We're going to be continuing to talk about this in the coming weeks but just the resident because the one who rose christ from the dead is the one who is who is taking residence and dwelling in his people just just know what what pr- what presence we have with us all the time what power he gives his people All the time. And so let us be those who who don't fall back into sort of, okay, who who have the Spirit of God, but we fall into this living of of self effort and just sort of, okay, it's about me and my strength, but who seek to daily be filled with and rely on the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us. So we have hope because the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't just an event in history. It changes everything for us. The spirit that rose Christ to life is the spirit that can you, raise you to life. And I just want to close by reading some of the passage that follows that talks about some of the, what we receive as the spirit of God raises us to life that flows through from this. It says this, For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. There are two types of people in the world. There are those who are dead in sin. They are dead men walking. And there are those who the resurrection of Christ changes everything. Dead men made alive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son to live a perfect life, to die, bearing the full wrath and weight of our sins. And, and then thank you for raising Him from the grave. And because Jesus Christ arose from the grave, we, we are not given a spirit of fear but of, and of timidity, but of power and of hope. Lord, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we aren't given just enough of you to, to endure. Lord, we are given your limitless power and provision and presence. So Lord, thank you for how the resurrection changes and has changed and will change everything. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that does not have a relationship with you, Lord, who who maybe have questions and and maybe just have uncertainties, would you give them faith to to trust in the God of the resurrection, to, to see Him clearly for who He is, the God of all power, raised and reigning and ruling over all things, and the God who would invite them to lay down their sin, to lay down their shame, to lay down their guilt and fear and walk in newness of life in Jesus Christ.